It's good to see you. It's good to be back with you. We missed being away, missed being away from you last Sunday. We did a family vacation and a pastor school, continuing education kind of thing at Epworth by the Sea. I know St. Simon's is a terrible place to have to go to learn something, but uh, <laughs> but we had a great time and uh, behaved for the most part, and that's good because we were spotted down there by some of you. And, uh, and you all were behaving as well. So uh, we had a great time. It's good to be back with you and good to see you today. And I want to thank uh, my colleague and my friend, David Haygood, for preaching last week. I had time this past week to uh, pull it up on the computer screen and watch and listen to an excellent sermon. So thank you, David. And uh, we're delighted that you and your family are part of this great church. People have asked me this morning about the tie, it's got some A's all over it, and I assure you it's not an Alabama tie, <laughs> I promise. It's, a, it's an Atlanta Braves tie, and uh, I'm a little discouraged right now. Like most sports teams based in Atlanta, they cannot stand prosperity. And, uh, <laughs> but hopefully there are better days to come. Uh, it's good to see you, and, uh, and good to be back with you on this Sunday. I want to uh, talk a little bit about what I'm going to talk about before I actually read the scripture lesson. So I haven't forgotten it, and we're not skipping over it. We'll be back to John chapter 6 in, um, in just a moment or two. But I want to do a series for the next few Sundays out of John chapter 6. Actually, in the lectionary for this particular year, it breaks from Mark for a while, and we get to deal with John's gospel. Most of you know year A is Matthew, year B is Mark, year C is Luke, and then it starts over, and John doesn't have a year in the lectionary, so he gets inserted along the way at different places. So this is John 6, and we're going to spend some time over the next few Sundays with that, and then we'll be back to what Mark has to say to us. John 6 is a lengthy chapter, the 71 verses there. It's a critical chapter in understanding how the writer of the gospel saw Jesus. If you'll take time this week, if you can take just a little time to read the entire sixth chapter of John, you'll get an overview of where we're going and uh, what John's gospel is all about. It's kind of capsulized in, in this chapter. It's such a critical chapter. So we'll look at it piece by piece. But if you've read the whole thing, then I think that'll be a help to you and to all of us as we explore it together. Every time I go through this chapter, there's something new, something I haven't seen or heard before. So I invite you to, um, to accompany me on that journey. One of the first things is that many biblical scholars have debated the location of John chapter 6 and the overall scheme of John's gospel, sometimes referred to as the fourth gospel. The late or later gospel, there are a lot of things in John's gospel that are not spelled out, that are spelled out elsewhere because the writer would assume that people already knew it. For instance, Jesus' mother is never called Mary in John's gospel. She's simply called the mother of Jesus because the writer assumed everybody already knew her name, so why repeat it? And there are other things that are so unique to this gospel. But the pattern of things, where chapter 6 is located, chapter 4 concludes with Jesus in Galilee, chapter 5, Jerusalem, chapter 6, our chapter, he's back in Galilee, and then chapter 7, he's in Jerusalem. And some would argue that chapter 6 is mislocated, that it's 
sort of out of place in this gospel that geographically and logically it doesn't make sense. Having Jesus minister in an area and then return would have made more sense. It's reasonable, these arguments are, but it pays a lot more attention to schedules and geography than the writer does. That was not his main concern. So sometimes we we pick it apart a little bit and, and look at where things are located. But more importantly, the fourth gospel, the fourth evangelist, the writer wants us to highlight the fact that Jesus is keeping Passover as far from Jerusalem as possible in this particular episode, which is the scene of his rejection at Passover at another time. Jesus will die as the Passover lamb. That's something that's pretty unique to John's gospel that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptics or similar gospels, don't emphasize as much. But now he's going to observe a Passover meal with a more receptive crowd in the Galilee, the region of the Galilee, away from Jerusalem. For our writer, there are more important things than logical schedules, and we need to keep that in mind. Another preliminary remark that has to do specifically with this sixth chapter is the way the stories there are linked together. The feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, Peter's confession, you are the Christ. They're all there. Matthew and Mark join the feeding and the walking of the water, but they leave off other things, and, and Luke comes in and puts it all together in a different way. It seems like they all took their material from the same oral or written traditions, but they, they spell it out. They lay it out in different ways. So having said all that, let's read the passage for today. John chapter 6, verse, beginning with verse 1. And I would ask you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel. John 6, beginning with verse 1. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. 
And they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee and a big crowd had followed him because of all the healing miracles that he had done. They had seen these things, they had heard about them. You know how folks talk about such as that. And everybody was, was wanting to be where he was. So Jesus went up on a mountain and he sat down with his disciples. And looking out on the gathering multitude, he says to Philip, we've got to feed these folks. Where are we going to get enough food to, to feed this crowd? And Philip said, how can we afford enough groceries to feed this crowd? What are you talking about, Lord? Have, have you lost it? It would take more than 200 days wages to feed this crowd for one day, for one meal. What are you talking about? Well, Andrew, and Andrew's one of the lesser known apostles. He was Simon Peter's brother. That's one of his claims to fame. When you have a brother who is as loud and outgoing and upfront and, and out there as Peter, you're going to be connected to him. But every time Andrew is mentioned in the Gospels, he's bringing somebody to meet Jesus. Now, that's not a bad thing, is it? That would not be a bad epitaph to have inscribed on your tombstone. He or she brought others to meet Jesus. That's sort of who Andrew was. And Andrew had overheard this conversation about how are you going to feed all these people. And he said, there's a, a little boy here and his mama must have packed his lunch for him. He's got five little loaves of bread and two fish. But what are they among so many? Jesus said, get everybody to sit down. This is a comfortable place. There's a lot of grass up on this hill. Sit down and make yourself comfortable and uh, see what we can do here. So Jesus took the loaves of bread. And it's almost a communion-like scene, isn't it? You can picture Jesus almost behind the table. And he lifted the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he distributed it to everyone. And likewise with the fish. And they ate as much as they wanted. And when they were finished... There were 12 baskets full of leftover bread. I was wondering this past week, what became of that bread? And I think I know that Jesus and the disciples were continuing to walk around and to preach and teach and make a difference. And they had to eat it all. And I can just hear them grumbling now, leftovers again. Bread, bread, and more bread. And um, But there it was, and there was to be no waste. So they, they took care of it some way. Maybe they found some other hungry folks who, who needed a bite to eat. And when the crowd saw this sign, they all said, wow, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And then Jesus sensed things were about to get out of hand. The crowd was about to come for him, not to harm him, not in their eyes, but to make him their king. And not a king in the sense that Jesus had come to become a king, but a king in a sense that here's a ruler who'll do everything we want him to do. And Jesus didn't want that. He didn't want that kind of popularity. That's not what he was looking for. In the Lion King movie, Simba 
is just strutting all over the place, singing loud enough for everybody on the planet to hear, I just can't wait to be king. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. He could wait. It was a different kind of kingship. And then the second part of the lesson picks up that evening. The disciples are in a boat, and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee again on the way to Capernaum. It was dark. Jesus was not with them. Strong wind begins to blow. Waves get up. They were terrified. And they had rowed three or four miles across this lake, maybe about halfway across. And they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming toward the boat. And like Jesus always does when folks are frightened, like when angels in the Gospels always just drop down out of the sky and just scare the life out of somebody, and they always say the same thing, don't be afraid. So that's what Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's me. I don't think he said it's just me. I think he said it's me. And the text says something rather curious. And immediately the boat was at land on the other shore. Two marvelous stories. And it makes us just want to say, isn't Jesus a wonderful, magnificent, miracle-working figure of a man? Who else could have done these things? Who else could have caused these things to happen? Look at the physical aspects of what had just happened. The crowd had gathered because he had healed so many who were diseased, I imagine, physically and emotionally and mentally ill. And he had helped them. And that was a sign. John's Gospel talks about signs more than it talks about miracles. Signs pointing to something beyond themselves. And then the bread. He had taken the five loaves and the two fish and fed all those 5,000 folk. And that's a lot. Just the logistics of it, if you bring it down and start thinking about it on that level, a loaf of Wonder Bread sliced thin might feed five people for one meal, but it's just hard to think about. Everybody had plenty. They gathered up the leftovers. And it was then that people began to compare Jesus to the greatest prophet in the history of their people, the prophet, the, the leader, Moses. Think about that. Think about what Moses had done. The stories that we read in the book of Exodus. And this is the prophet who is to come into the world, they said about Jesus. Thinking back to Moses. Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. Moses and the manna that God had sent from above. And here's Jesus with the miracle on the waves and in the water and the feeding of the 5,000. And so they made that connection in their hearts and in their minds Jesus and Moses and that's who they thought about when they saw Jesus concerning the physical aspects of walking on the water unless it's frozen that's hard for us to comprehend and even then that's a little slippery and a little difficult we use that expression sometimes though don't we in a negative kind of way We say, well, you know her, you know how she is. She just thinks she walks on water. I don't, you've never thought that or said that about anybody, I'm sure. But we sometimes use that expression like that when we want to uh, hold somebody in, in contempt. Walking on water. There's so many old stories, and I'm trying to spare you having to hear one you've heard a thousand times. So this is one version of the story that that I've heard that 
well, I'll tell it and you decide what you want to do with it. But it's uh, the walking on the water story. There was a small country church who was to receive their first woman as a senior pastor. And they were distraught. Two old guys in the church, especially distraught about that. They didn't know what they were going to do. And they said, well, how can we check her out? How can we find out if she's for real? Is this going to work or not? And two of them were talking. And one said to the other, well, why don't we ask her to go fishing with us? We'll see what she's like. They said, all right. And they invited her. And she said, sure, I'll be there. When? Where? They said, Monday morning, 6 o'clock, down by the lake. They told her how to get there. And she showed up. And the three of them got in the boat. And, and they headed down the lake. And they dropped anchor. And they started fishing. Well, first thing you know, it was about dinner time, lunchtime. And uh, they started talking about lunch. And she said, oh, my goodness. She said, I forgot my lunch. Left it in the car. And they just start shaking their heads. One of them says, it is just like a woman to be that forgetful. So they said, all right, we'll, we'll crank the motor up. We'll go back to shore where you can get your lunch. She said, no, no, don't bother. You guys stay here. And she stepped out of the boat and walked across the water all the way back to the parking lot, got her lunch, and came back. And on her way back, one of them turned to the other and said, would you look at that? Not only did they send us a woman, she can't even swim. Uh, oh me. It's sad to say there's way too much truth in that story, but there there are a lot of walking on the water stories. Feeding of the five thousand, walking on the water, two grand and glorious miracles. The hungry are fed, the scared are put at ease, suddenly the boat is at the shore. And in both instances, legitimate physical needs are met. But I have to ask, is there more to life than being comfortable? Is there more to life than just having our physical needs met and all of our own wants taken care of? And I think certainly there is. Isn't there more to these two episodes than a crowd being fed and Jesus walking on the water and the waves being calmed. Verse 4, the gospel lesson contains a clue. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. That these miracles occur at Passover is so important for John's gospel. And I went for so long without realizing where a story is placed in the gospel and the context of it has so much to do with what the story means. And John's very intentional about this. At Passover, Jesus cleansed the temple and he spoke of his death. That's in chapter 2. Most of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's one Passover story toward the end of the gospel and everything moves in that direction. John's gospel, there are three Passover stories. So the first in, in chapter 2. And then at Passover, Jesus had a meal with his disciples in Jerusalem. And his death was approaching. That's in chapter 13. And that wonderful, beautiful discourse of Jesus preparing his followers for the time when he wouldn't be there. And maybe the most powerful lesson he ever taught them was at that Passover time when he knelt down and washed their feet. And what did he say to all of us about servanthood? And then in the gospel account for today, the feeding of the 5,000 is told 
almost in Lord's Supper kind of language, isn't it? He took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the folks. And it's a Passover story. Later in the chapter, chapter 6, and we're going to go all the way through it over the next few weeks, there's a story about giving flesh and, and blood of Jesus. Some of the language becomes a little difficult and, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But speaking primarily of the loaves and fishes, a story that goes beyond Jesus' compassion on, on hungry crowds. He cared that they didn't have enough to eat. And he made it abundantly clear that he knew what he was going to do. Even before he asked Philip, he was testing Philip. He was teasing with him a little bit, maybe. What are we going to do, Philip? Even before he knew what he was going to do. And, and he knew that there would be a sign here pointing people to something much more than having their physical needs met. And their physical hungers satisfied. There's something else going on here. This account calls us to look beyond the bread to the bread, the bread of life. Many of the stories in John's gospel are developed like this. They, they say more than they seem to say. You remember when Jesus and his mother showed up at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee and the host had run out of wine and that was quite an embarrassment. And what would they do? And Jesus exceeded expectation, even his mother's expectation, and provided all of that wine, turning the water into wine at that story. And then later, Mary and Martha, another Mary, had lost a brother, a beloved brother. And Jesus showed up a few days later. And more than just reviving a corpse that had been dead for four days... He said to all of us, I am the resurrection and the life. He offered hope to the world through this one story of Lazarus. Is there more to life than having our physical needs met? Is there more to this life than just being comfortable and having things taken care of and getting upset when things don't go our way? Is there more to Jesus than one who walks on water and feeds rumbling stomachs? Christians, sometimes we think of Jesus in terms of our provider. This is the Jesus who's going to do so many wonderful things for us. It's going to take care of us. So many of the little sayings about Jesus and the plaques and the things across the years. Jesus will provide. Jesus will make it okay. And we understand his provision for us in terms of physical and material blessings. And that's not all bad. But that's not all. Is there more to it than that? We said earlier that the crowd who had been fed by Jesus, after they had been fed, identified Jesus as the prophet who was to come into the world, the one who's like Moses. They were beginning to see more. The Exodus tradition, you realize that that's what happened. We talked about that a moment ago, how Jesus and Moses came so closely tied together. Those folk in the wilderness so hungry, all they wanted was bread. And all these folks wanted was bread. And they got bread. They got more than they had bargained for. And they were trying to comprehend all of this. And in fact, this crowd, who had been ministered to by Jesus, wanted to pay him back and wanted things to be okay for them from now on. They wanted to enthrone Jesus as king. And he wouldn't have any of it. 
But I was trying to think about what the conversation might have been like in the crowd, talking to one another. We just got to make him king. We just got to put him on the throne up there. Don't you know that if Jesus is up there, we'll have a chicken in every pot and two chariots in every garage? Come on, people. (laughs) They didn't understand that who Jesus is and the place that Jesus had been given in this world was not up to them. Whether they approved or disapproved, they didn't get a vote. There's a big difference between thinking of Jesus as simply our provider and thinking of Jesus as the Lord of our lives. The Galilean crowd was having a hard time seeing the difference. But before we give them too much of a hard way to go, we need to ask ourselves if we see the difference. Amen.